Hello and welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao. I'm an indie producer in Montreal working for Studio Cut to Bits. And today our guest is Therese Lance. Please introduce yourself. Hello, I am Therese Lance. I am an illustrator and concept artist. At the moment, I am freelancing. I am a bit of a masterless samurai, as it were. I'm working for a couple of different studios, including Hololabs, where I am working on a incredible AR game about uh, floating alien sea creatures. Very cool. So typically, uh, what else do you do is about what you do outside of the games industry. But this is our first interview in the series of Asian game devs that work in the West series of interviews. So we're going to talk about being an Asian game developer working in the West. So what is your ethnic background? Ah, here I must establish my Asian credentials. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like, the the thing is, normally I wouldn't be like, oh, well, you know. Oh, of course not. But uh, since this is specifically (laughs) about being Asian. It's it's relevant. Um, It is relevant. My Asian credentials are relevant. Uh, I am half Filipina and half Swiss, and I was actually born in the Philippines. I was born in Baguio City, and we came here when I was a child, so. Do you remember at all? Growing up in the Philippines, did you go back frequently, or we've gone back quite a bit? It's weird because I was quite small when we left, but whenever I went back, there was some like it definitely triggered some kind of like certain smells. Uh, definitely triggered some kind of sense memory. And do you speak Tagalog, or do do your parents speak? Uh, does, so is it your mother or your father? Yeah, my mom. I have a situation that I've actually found. I felt like I was the only one in the world, but I've found it's quite common with uh, like children of immigrants. Speaking Tagalog around the house was not like a huge priority for my mom and dad. And mm-hmm. so as a result, I have a baby vocabulary, but like it's it's long been a, a priority of mine to to brush that up a little bit. Okay. Duolingo, so, for the record, does not have Tagalog. It has Klingon and High Valyrian, but it does not have Tagalog. But I know, I mean, like... Wait, it has Klingon and High Valyrian, but not Tagalog? You heard me. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Like Tagalog is not like a obscure language. Like it's spoken by like... I mean, how many people in the Philippines? There's a lot of people in the Philippines. I think the reason that um, I think the reason it's not on Duolingo is actually that there's not that much demand because because of colonialism. Speaking English well in the Philippines is a bit of a sign of prestige, and yeah. then when people go over there, like when people go to live there from elsewhere, it seems like it's not a high priority to learn to speak Tagalog because everybody already speaks English really well. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I'd like to think that there's enough diaspora kids who are frustrated at not being able to speak Tagalog that we should just pressure Duolingo to to get their shit together. I yeah, I mean, if High Valerian gets a uh, gets <laughs> gets gets Tagal- uh, Duolingo, then I think uh, Tagalog certainly should. Kapla, as the Klingons say. <laughs> so okay, um, how Asian do you feel? Now, this is a really weird question. Um, wow, I can tie this right back to Star Trek, as with most conversations. I just watched a, a Star Trek Voyager episode where the character, Bellana Torres, who is cla- half Klingon and half human, and she has issues about being half Klingon because she was like, the character was bullied as a child and always felt like a misfit and stuff. And so 
she doesn't she's not proud of her Klingon heritage and she like actually tries to conceal it and so she gets spoilers for a 25 year old show she gets pregnant and she starts considering genetic therapy to essentially um rid her fetus of its Klingon genes because that's that's how like embarrassed of her Klingon heritage she is I am the polar opposite of that like (laughs) when I got bullied for being brown as a kid I was like okay I'm going to be extra brown. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm just going to, like, grab that brown dial and crank it up to 12 just to you're spite all double you. down. Exactly. Okay. But um, to actually answer the question, I don't know. Do I walk around on the day-to-day and be like, golly, I feel Asian today? Actually, <laughs> in some ways, yes. <laughs> um, living in Halifax, which is extremely white, uh, it is kind of apparent to me that certain things, like certain experiences, certain values, certain preferences are pretty Asian. Like, it, I wept tears of joy when I finally found a goddamn grocery store here that sold gochujang, for instance. Yeah, that that's pretty key. Uh, yeah, I need, I need gochujang. For, fortunately, Montreal is not so bad. <laughs> oh, no, Montreal is beautifully diverse. Also, a, 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 another cute and relevant I mean, story. I, I, I mean, it's it's a spectrum, and... For me, it still feels very white, but uh, I came from San Francisco, so oh well, San San Francisco is like thirty percent Asian. Yeah, the West Coast is is pretty Asian. Um, So yes, again, relevant to this discussion, uh, when I first got my job at Ubisoft Halifax, uh, and I got like uh, the mass welcome email, welcome ten new employees because they were undergoing a big growth spurt at that time. I looked at all of the other names on the list, and uh, another name on there was Thuy Lin Tran, which is a Vietnamese name. And I was like, hell yes, there's going to be one other Asian. We're going to be best friends. And so I got to, uh, we showed up at work, and it was indeed a young Vietnamese woman. And we were like, we did the meet eyes across the studio and did this little nod of solidarity, because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what you do. And we were best friends and roommates, and yeah, it's it's great. She moved to Montreal. She's at UB Montreal now, but that was a great uh, Asians bonding in the room of white people experience. And yes, we went and shopped for gochujang and got bubble tea together uh, and got dumplings and durian mochi like all the time. It was amazing. Yeah. Trying so to gauge wh- how well where I you, Where that are you from in Canada? <laughs> I grew up in Calgary. Calgary, okay. Calgary is also pretty white, no? That's what I thought until I lived in Halifax. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I just visited there in August uh, once the travel restrictions eased up a bit and I had both my vaccines. And I was walking down 17th Avenue Southwest, which is like the hip neighborhood. And I felt like every single person I passed by was under 30 and asian or middle eastern and jacked and really well dressed and tattooed and i was like what has happened to this city in the 10 years since i left this is awesome okay i guess it has a significant immigrant population it does okay that 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 makes sense it's one of the like the cities that are probably growing like there's all that oil money in alberta so i guess well there's the industry right and i think that i mean part of the reason my family ended up in Calgary was because like industry, like immigrants often tend to go where the industry is, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm trying to think if I adequately answered the how Asian do I feel question. And so I'm constructing like a 10 point scale on my head. Like, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, feel free to do so. I just, uh, 
so like zero is like Chuck Norris. Um, I don't know who's like the least Asian. Who's like the whitest person I can think of? Uh, <laughs> okay, zero being Chuck Norris, like ten being like my grandma. Uh, I would say on the I see I I I don't know like between a six and a seven most days. How's six that? and a seven, okay. I think that's pretty fair. Um, that how that pertains to other people's perception of me is quite different. Wow, that's 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 a whole nother. I mean, I grew up in Japan, and um, being half Caucasian in Japan, I, I mean, people did not see me as Asian at all. And really? then I moved to the states, and I realized I I'm really not American. Um, that's pretty bang on with my experience because uh, a couple years ago I went to the one Filipino restaurant that's in Halifax and the food is really good and I asked for uh, some patis which is just a it's like a fish sauce condiment and the lady said how do you know what patis is and I was like I'm Filipino and she replied no you're not <laughs> and that has emotionally devastated me ever since yeah. so she she clearly did not put me at a six or a seven on the how Asian are you scale. Yeah. Just like the, I, I imagine that the Japanese folks. So how do they, like, do they treat you differently in, when you were growing up in Japan? I mean, yeah, it was, it was pretty weird growing up in Japan, uh, especially since I grew up kind of like in middle nowhere. Like, I mean, granted, it's middle nowhere in Japan, so it was still a city that had like 180,000 people, but... Um, uh, but yeah, we were pretty much the only, like my mom was the only white person I knew or even saw on a day-to-day basis. Like there were, there were no white people there. Um, I think the only non-Japanese people there were probably Asian immigrants, but they were pretty, pretty integrated. Like we're not talking about recent immigrants. So like they're born and raised, like. Sorry to be a bit of a weeb, but, uh, when I think of middle of nowhere, Japan, I think of studio ghibli screenshots with like beautiful blue skies and like power lines and like lush forested hillsides please don't ruin this for me and tell me I it mean, wasn't like that yes actually japan quite a quite a bit of japan does look like that and um uh japan's very mountainous so a lot of it's not very readily habitable people don't build houses on mountains yeah they, they tend to stick to the the plains so yeah, like there's even, you know, even near pretty uh, densely populated areas, like you still see quite a bit of trees. And But yeah, like when I grew up, like there was like rice fields and me and my friends would go out on our bikes and uh, uh, we'd get too excited and like somebody would fall into a rice field and their bicycle and we'd have to like fish them out um, covered in mud and uh, yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, like growing up, it was pretty weird. Um, I mean, obviously people who knew me like knew that my dad was Japanese and like I spoke Japanese and I went to Japan, like I went to Japanese public school. But like, you know, I would go to a bookstore and would buy a novel and they would tell me that it's in Japanese in Japanese. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, uh, thanks. But like how do you think this conversation would work if I didn't actually speak Japanese? And why would I be buying a Japanese novel? Like, you know, like this, everything about this interaction is really kind of like unproductive and fruitless. But uh, people also, uh, I think you and I hit another 10 point scale here. 
Um, in terms of what we, how mixed race people end up looking, I think you and I are both dead center on the what ethnicity do we look like scale. Whereas my yeah. sister, my sister is white passing. Nobody thinks my sister is Asian. Most people don't think I'm very Asian either, especially in Japan. Nobody thought that I was Asian. And even here, uh, when I tell people I'm Asian, people are usually surprised. In the West Coast, people weren't. Like when I said I was uh, half Japanese, people are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because that if tracks. they're used to seeing like half Japanese people, like they're like, oh, you look like, I don't know, people I've seen. But like what I got a lot in California was that people thought I was Latino. Interesting. Like I would get shit from like Latino people. They would ask me if, he, if I spoke Spanish and I'm like, no. And they would look at me like, oh, you're one of those. And I'm like, no, I'm not one of those. Like I'm not a... I'm not like a Latino person that doesn't speak Spanish. I'm an Asian person that doesn't speak Spanish. Like, <laughs> Being a, for a former Spanish colony, a bunch of Tagalog words are actually just Spanish words. Mm. You can actually tell. Uh, you, you can actually tell where colonization happened because, like, tinidor cuzara, which is like fork and spoon, um, are the same words in Spanish. Mm. Tinidor and cuchara, um, and then. There's a lot of words in Tagalog that are just English, like strawberry, hot dog. <laughs> well, I mean, that's. I think that's true with most languages, right? Like, I think hot dog is hot dog in a lot of places, regardless of whether or not it was colonized. That's true. The Filipinos love hot dogs. <laughs> People love hot dogs, don't they? Asians, I think Asians as a whole, as a whole, like, there's a lot of like that, like, like not necessarily specifically hot dogs, but like, um, like sausages like highly highly processed sausages seems like a like the in in japan like you, you get these like like i don't know cocktail sausages cocktail weenies yeah <laughs> and i just i, I yeah I'm no, i've never been a big fan but no uh, i think they're gross but um <laughs> i had a guy once ask me what like some traditional filipino cuisine is and i said like hot dogs cut up into spaghetti and he thought i was fucking with him i was not <laughs> <laughs> but that's like that that has a lot to do with uh like the american military presence there yeah so okay so let's talk about working in the games industry so what has your experience been like being asian in the games industry like like i'm assuming most of your workplaces have been pretty white Yes, I think though that we are definitely better represented than other ethnic groups. There, I, I don't think it's entirely uncommon to see Asian, East Asian, and South Asian devs. Usually, in a lot of studios, again, depending on the region, there'll be like ninety percent white people, then like a handful of Asian people, and then if if the studio <laughs> prides itself on diversity, like one other ethnicity featured. There's always yeah, been a handful. especially in Canada. Yeah, like uh, yeah, Ubisoft Halifax had had a handful for sure. I mean, I think Ubisoft is a little bit special in a way because like there's like people transfer from studio to studio, so I think like you're probably gonna have more like foreign presence than a studio of equal size. Yeah, one thing Halifax. I actually uh, one thing I really loved was the amount of international diversity. Uh, also because this is a little self-serving um, when some of the folks who moved internationally to work to Ubisoft uh, 
like they'd go back home on vacation or whatever and they'd come back and they'd bring treats <laughs> so there would be the lunch table would be covered in like legit asian treats and that was that was always a delight one of the things about covid is the fact that i haven't been able to go to asia at all for for over well, i guess at this point it's been three years since i've been back to japan and seen my parents so Oh, your folks are still in Japan. Yeah, my my parents are still in Japan. So. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And like, I guess this is another kind of like, I don't know, maybe this is like a immigrant thing or an Asian thing, but like, there's certain things I only buy in Japan. I'm absolutely intrigued <laughs> to hear what they are. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, well... The one that's really kind of proven to be extremely difficult is jeans. Like I've pretty much exclusively worn like, um, like Japanese salvage denim because I'm that kind of a, I don't know, millennial douchebag, d- what, whatever I, you want to call it. Hey, I am too. Um, I do believe we talked about Japanese salvage denim and naked to famous last time we talked on your podcast. Yeah, so you're, naked you're- to famous is okay. I, I have bought a pair of naked and famous because I've had to. <laughs> forced to stoop to the american version i love it um i've i've had to you know reconcile with the fact that like all my jeans are falling apart but yeah like there's stuff like that kitchen knives all my kitchen knives are japanese most of them were purchased in japan my collection of whetstones has not grown in the last three years (laughs) this is making me want to go to japan just to buy because kitchen knives and denim are two very important parts of my life Uh, they're they're you know the Japanese do both of those things very well. Other people do as well, but not in the same way. And like I I must admit, like the denim game outside of Japan has really significantly improved in the last twenty years. This is like our curse. <laughs> I think we we come to talk about being an Asian game developer, and we inevitably segue into talking about yeah, Japanese uh, j- denim. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, quick, quick, Trez. Tie it back to what you were talking about originally, and I got nothing. Um, yeah, so, yes, um, people going overseas and getting getting goodies. What are some of the things that have been challenging as a as an Asian person, or maybe specifically as an Asian, Asian woman working in the games industry? Well, there is an understanding, uh, at least there was prior to COVID, that if you're going to be a game developer, you're going to move around a lot. And like when I finished my internship uh, at NetherRealm in Chicago and was mass applying for jobs, uh, there was always a thing in my head where I was like, am I going to have to move to somewhere where I can't buy gochujang? <laughs> <laughs> like, because honestly, like diversity in the city where I live is, is important to me. Like that's, and this ties back to how Asian are you? Um, some days I wake up and I need, I want to, I, I have a particular need to be Asian that day. I want to eat Asian food and watch like a cheesy Filipino drama on TV and um, call my mom. <laughs> like, that's just a lot easier to do in some cities than others, you know? Yeah, uh, for sure. So I, mean, I, I go to the Asian supermarket in my neighborhood at least once a week. So. Do you guys have TNT? No. Oh, maybe they do, but not not in my neighborhood. TNT it's all, is it's all pretty like like mom and pop in in this area. Well, I mean, there's like there's like giant ones that are like I don't know. Is Kim Fat everywhere in Canada, or is that just? I Quebec? don't think so. Okay, so there's like one like giant chain, and everything else seems to be like pretty much independent. 
there's and I love I love the mom and pops and you got to support them too. But every now and then I want to go to a giant gleaming Asian superstore, which TNT. <laughs> we, I I always go to TNT when we go back to Calgary because that's got there's a whole uh, there's a whole aisle like a whole couple aisles that have a giant sign that says in colorful letters Southeast Asian Zone. And when I lived with my Vietnamese coworker, I was talking about earlier, I joked that I was going to steal the sign and put it in our apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's just, you know, there's something. Is, that, is there one in Halifax or there isn't one? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, <laughs> so it's, where, it's, where do you get the kochujang in? Uh, there's a, there are some mom and pops here, but they can be, they can be tricky to come by. Like there, no. there, there's none in walking distance. San Francisco want- has... Well, California has a Japanese supermarket chain called Nijia that uh, I I miss a lot. Like, because here it's mostly, I think, Chinese and Vietnamese, some Korean stores. So, like, some of the more specifically Japanese things are hard to find. A friend of mine just moved to Vancouver, and she's always telling me how easy everything is to find, and I just kind of want to throw rocks at her. Well, that's what I was saying. Like when I was sending out emails, I was like, "Vancouver, come on, Vancouver," <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out that I got the exact opposite of Vancouver. Yeah, uh, it's uh, you, you got to be on the other coast. Yeah, uh, but when people talk about like how well, deeply now Asian, that you're a freelancer, like, would do you think about moving somewhere else? Yeah, we're actually talking about uh, my partner just got a, a fully mobile job, and so we're gonna move back west in the spring. Is the plan? Okay, where like Alberta again, or yeah, we got my folks are getting old, so <laughs> yes, <laughs> got to be around to help. There and that, again, that that ties neatly into what we're talking about. It's true that that is something that's very typical in an Asian household, but not necessarily in a other other cultures. For those who aren't familiar with the concept of, it's called filial piety, and I sometimes really hate that term, but it's basically what my friends when I was younger called being parent whipped. <laughs> like my friends growing up thought it was really bizarre that like I was 21 and when I was going to stay out all night, I'd call my mom and let her know. Like, how is that? How is that weird? <laughs> well, did you live with your parents? Yes. And oh, they okay. still thought, and they still thought that was weird. I, yeah, I don't know. I I've moved out of my like I moved away from my parents when I was fifteen. So we we my my out. relationship with my parents is very different than a typical I think Asian household. Okay, but there's like there's tons of uh, variety. Like there's tons of variation in the there's there's no pan Asian experience, right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, like, it's just I, that uh, I think. Well, I think moving out is typically delayed in Asian households for the most part. Well, um, growing up, we had a, we did have a very we had an extreme. I grew up in a very Filipino household where like three generations living under one roof was just kind of the norm. Like, yeah, and that's patented. Like here, you're going to see a bit of a rich country versus poor country divide. The Philippines being a pretty poor country. Like, that's a very good anti-poverty strategy. Like, Mm. often, like, my grandma and my aunt or, like, my aunt and uncle and a couple cousins were living with us. That was was pretty normal for me. So, 
But yeah, the sense of obligation to one's parents. It's, I say obligation, that sounds like a chore, but it's not. Like, my parents are awesome. I love them. <laughs> like, I, I hang out. They're my friends. I hang out with them completely voluntarily and always have. So, so filial piety makes it sound so, like, some martyrdom obligation, bullshit. But like yeah. Confucian, Confucian obligation rather than, like... <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure for some people it is, but for me, it's not. For me, I do it. I want to help them out because I love them. Oh. Yeah, my parents are also getting old, but they're very far. And uh, yeah, well, they so gotta... more complicated for more complicated than I want to get into on this <laughs> this episode. But uh, well, for there's us, a grandkid but, uh, in the mix too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not moving back to Japan. That's for sure. So, how much of Japan are you like? How Japanese are? What kind of Japanese-ness are you? introducing into your kids life or would you like to introduce into your kids um life? well i'm trying to teach her japanese which is difficult because it's the third language because here you know we're in quebec so it's yeah. like french and english and then and then japanese well now's the time right um yeah and um and uh other than that i really don't know like i don't to be honest, I don't really share like cultural values with Japan that much. Like as a whole, Japan's pretty conservative about a lot of things, which I'm not. I'm pretty I'm almost all subjects. I'm I'm pretty liberal, like labor and you know uh, gender and uh, you know freedom of expression, all of that stuff. I'm very liberal, which I don't really align with the Japanese, like. So I don't I don't know what exactly I'm going to teach my daughter about Japan. That oh, honestly, I I really don't know. Maybe manga, and, manga and anime. <laughs> that's probably about it. That's like a that's a, a, a thing. Possibly that every, some hist interesting history. Every every kid of multiple cultures has to kind of figure it out for themselves what they want to keep and what they want to kind of pass on. Yeah. What's uh like? Would you say that there's any like? very Japanese values that you've retained or that you would like enthusiastically pass on? I don't think they're uniquely Japanese. I think that as a whole, they're very, as a culture, they're very polite and they do believe in like collective responsibility to a certain extent and like kind of the needs of the collective. But like as a society, they're, I don't really like the way Japan is going right now. <laughs> To be honest, yeah. I don't like the way the Philippines is going right now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's hard to think about like Japanese values that are really that I think are really positive because I feel like so much of it's overshadowed by like I don't know. I think collective responsibility is a beautiful value, and I think that if it was wider, uh, more widely adopted in North America, we would have a lot less disastrous problems. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think but then it. again, like, that's the thing. Japan's kind of going in a really weird direction as well, because, like, so one of the things that, like, Japan's really big on not bothering other people. <laughs> I love it. Like not being a burden to other to others, which I think is a good value. Like, you know, that's why when you take public transit, people are very polite and like you go to stores and people are, you know, 
like it's a very orderly society in which it's very pleasant to like to live because people are respectful of other people and um, their space and needs. However, uh, this has kind of translated into a society that has become kind of like to the point where people are not willing to negotiate in some of that aspects. Like, like there's this, uh, this, this is a really complicated discussion, but, um, it's interesting though. Like, <laughs> tell me more. Japanese customers are the worst customers in the world. Fascinating. How come? Because they're extremely demanding. And because like Japan has gone through like a really bad deflation cycle in the last 20 years yeah. or possibly even longer that like everything's also very cheap. So like people's expectations for service and quality is extremely high, but they also want it to be cheap. Oh. And they also are quite like, um, yeah, so there's that issue. And there's also the fact that like, for example, like, yeah, as a society, like they just, I don't know. I mean, the fact that there's no vaccine mandates in Japan, like there's no vaccine mandates of any kind of vaccine. Um, That's a strange choice, considering yeah. how pro-mask and pro-public health East Asia well, seems to be in general. See, that's the thing. Like, until the 90s, like, there was, like, tons of vaccine mandates, and you had to, like, get all these vaccines, and it was legally required, for, uh, and it was considered, um, um, you, you couldn't, yeah, but there was this, like, so there were a few cases of, like, vaccine injuries, because there weren't, like, medical exemptions for people who were unable to take vaccines and when yeah so what happened in the aftermath was the the government said like you know what we're just not going to have vaccine mandates that way if something does happen to you like it's not our responsibility because it's not a mandate that's also brutal neither of yeah so it's like that's (laughs) not that's a really bad approach to like handle this like that making the exemptions need to exist for immuno, legitimately immunocompromised people. Like, those yeah. exemptions are good and important. Wow, that sucks. Yeah, so, like, that's kind of where Japan is. Um, and I think kind of that kind of is, like, a microcosm of everything about Japan. Like, nobody's willing to compromise on anything because, like, they're as a society, they're like, yes, like, we as a society, like, you know, like, value not being a burden on other people <laughs> to the point where like it just no longer i think i don't know in the long term how, how japan is going to go that sense of i was actually just thinking about it when you were talking about the uh, asians talking about their feelings podcast and the difference in different parts of asia like the enormous cultural differences uh because the like the if the uh, the premise of the asians talking about their feelings podcast is that East Asians are like, there's a bit of a cultural value on um, stoicism uh, and not talking about your feelings. The Philippines is the opposite of that. <laughs> oh, it's talking about feelings ad nauseum, as, as my mom is fond of saying. So that's uh, similarly, um, there's uh, the sort, that sort of rugged individualism of not being a bother on anyone, not relying on anybody for help or anything like that. Uh, definitely also not the case in the Philippines. Uh, yeah. Like leaning on like your relatives to get you through, through a tough time and stuff like that is definitely part of Filipino culture. And I think I, I think it's a great thing personally. But I think pretty much any human inclination or value can be taken to a disastrous extreme. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I I think we need to wrap up at some point because uh, I don't. <laughs> if I had to take a, if I had to do another ten point scale of zero being we talked about the subject at hand the whole time, and ten being we went on only tangents. <laughs> it's I it's think, pretty high. Yeah, I think but, maybe eight or a nine. I mean, it's it's a complicated topic, right? Like, did we talk about what being Asian is? Yes, like, we definitely talked about being Asian. I'm not sure if we talked about like being a game developer in okay. <laughs> Asian game developer that much. Let's cram some just at the tail end of this uh, podcast. We'll cram in some talking about uh, actually being Asian in game development. Um, I've actually observed certain stereotypes uh, being circulated by white coworkers about uh being asian like they're definitely i have overheard people say stuff to the to the uh like implying that oh the, the new guy's asian that means he'll work really hard just shit like that yeah, <laughs> have, you, have you witnessed that yeah i've i've definitely like experienced and seen like pretty like like weird casual racism towards asian people and like and stereotypes around that and Positive, positive stereotyping is is can be as damaging as the negative stereotypes. Yeah. And for the record, I have worked with lazy Asian game developers. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they definitely exist. Like it's not a it's not like a, but uh, yeah, it's weird because like, <laughs> you know, and they'll throw around words like samurai and like ninja, and I'm like, please don't like you really make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Whoa! Throw them around like, in what context? Because I jokingly referred to myself as a Ronin earlier, but that was—I well, mean, if you want to refer to yourself as whatever you want, for the most part, I don't really care. But like, someone referred one of your coworkers referred to you as a samurai. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so I mean, sorry I, that I, happened. I even oh. had a—I even had an annual <laughs> review that said that I was like, uh, like it was it was uh, what was it? I can't remember what he said. Something like uh, it was. It's been a. It's been an honor to work with this amazing ninja. And I was like, you wrote this in a like a HR file. Like that's kind of weird. That yeah, that's enormous like the fact strength. that you think this is normal. Like this is like. I mean, I get what you're saying. I know you're not. This is this is not coming from a like a bad place in your heart. But like, yeah, no, not great. I'm trying to think of, I can't even think of what the, the, like a similar, because we, 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 unfortunately the Philippines doesn't have like a, a handy analog <laughs> in pop culture like that. Like, I'm sorry to say that all of the pop culture tropes tend to be pretty unflattering, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, fortunately there's been no, like, you know, uh, reference to things like kamikaze and like <laughs> um, seppuku, which I think would have been even more uncomfortable. But uh... well, like, like I think the the general, uh, like the slightly better representation of Asians in tech in general, and the uh, like the positive stereotypes, hopefully at least like shield us from some of that. But that's a mixed blessing at the best of yeah. times. Well, on that note, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Uh, just admiring any, your... any final final Asian thoughts <laughs> <laughs> any fan uh, let's see final Asian thoughts uh, 
try dipping your grilled cheese sandwich in gochujang. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although I don't know, I feel like cheese cheese I tend to kind of stick with sriracha more. Oh, that sounds delicious too. Yeah, like I I put I put sriracha in pretty much everything, but uh, yeah, grilled cheese with sriracha is really good. The uh, the gradual drift of cheese into a fusion Asian cuisine, even though half of us are lactose intolerant, is incredible. <laughs> I had tteokbokki the other day, which, uh, do you know tteokbokki? Those, yeah. uh, I, I love, that's one of my favorite Korean dishes. Uh, and the place was serving it covered in mozzarella, and it was incredible. I think that's not unusual. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's a it's a Western bastard, a Canadian bastardization. It was the idea of the, the Korean people whose restaurant it was. And it was incredible. So anyway, uh, the takeaway here is that sometimes fusing cultures together can be pretty cool. Yeah, let's let's yeah, let's let's go with that. <laughs> is that a good ending note? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, this fair. this episode's been complete chaos, but it's okay. I'm still trying to figure it out what exactly I'm trying to do with this. Well, I'm, look, I'm very we'll, much looking forward to hearing. And I think uh, it's, I, I have no idea if uh, our, our audience is going gonna, is gonna to respond to this because it's very different than everything else. But uh, we'll see. I, I'm super looking forward to hearing uh, all the, the successive guests. I, yes. And uh, hopefully as, as the episodes go on, maybe we'll, we'll try to, it's kind of different. Like the, it's, the thing is like, what else do you do really just kind of found its footing immediately in terms of its structure. So <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. This is a, this is a new, new challenge for me. So talking about race and ethnicities and culture is complicated, right? For sure. And messy. <laughs> as messy as yeah. mozzarella. Especially since like, bulky. yeah, we haven't really gone into it, but like, Asia is kind of a ridiculous concept anyway because it like it's it goes to all the way from Japan to like Israel. Like Israel's technically a West Asian country which like what? And there's everything in between, you know, like and then there's and North Asia, North Asia, like Russia, like Russia's an Asian country which kind of a crazy thought. Um which is why like precision when you're talking about it is good. Yeah, right? for sure. Southeast Asian zone, for instance, I really appreciated that aisle being <laughs> its own little thing. For its specificity and uh, clarity. Exactly. So we will we will continue to explore what it means to be Asian and uh, what it means to, <laughs> to be an Asian game developer in the West. But uh, yeah, I think uh, this is this is this was our first episode, and thank you for <laughs> sorry if we rambled <laughs> milling about with me. <laughs> Um, yeah, take care and have a good day. All right. This was really fun. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music. And thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye.